0: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. This week, I'm looking into age curves. What are they? What is the relationship between age and performance? Which players have exceeded the expectations the most? I'm joined on this week's stat chat by Matthew Klink from the Brothers of Discussion, the Discussion 5 podcast. We're going to be talking about the Detroit Red Wings and Pavel Datsyuk. Welcome to episode number 24 of Ice Analytics. Coming at you from the new and improved studio out here in the sticks. Don't be alarmed if you hear a cow moon in the background or you hear a combine going down the road. It's just all part of the ambiance. This week, I'm going to be looking into age curves on Number Crunch. You've all heard about these things. When do players start to decline At what age? Is it 28? Is it 30? Is it 32? We talk about players' primes. We talk about when they decline. I'll be looking into that. And then I'm going to be joined on the stat chat by Matthew Klink from the Discussion 5 podcast. We're talking Detroit Red Wings hockey in particular, Pavel Datsuk. And just in case you haven't heard, I'm going to be coming at you every other week. That's why this podcast didn't come out until the middle of June and maybe just maybe by the time next podcast comes out, the end of June on the 26th, I might be able to start uh, handicapping some of these playoff matchups. It does look like the league is going to proceed with a 24-team playoff with the top four teams in the East and the West getting buys. We don't have any timetables yet or anything, but it does look promising that if things go well with testing, We might have some more hockey this summer it could be the end of july could be the end of august who knows but it looks like we're going to see a conclusion to this season barring unforeseen events which this has all been an unforeseen event anyway i digress let's get into this week's topic all right all right well on this week's number crunch we're going to be looking at following questions. First up, what are age curves? Second of all, what is the relationship between age and performance? Thirdly, which players have exceeded their expectations the most? So first up, what are age curves? Age curves display the performance of a player, and there's a lot of different ways you can do this as they get older. In other words, it displays the declining play of a player as they age. Folks in the media talk about the prime of a player being somewhere between 25 and 30 years old. But what is actually the best age for player performance? Well, there's already been a ton of research that has been conducted on this topic, including by Eric Tolsky, CJ Tortoro, and the Evolving Hockey Twins. One of the important conclusions of these studies is that age curves that includes all players in the league isn't an accurate representation of player decline. And why is that? Well, not all players age at the same rate. Some players peak earlier than others. Some peak later. Some players go off a cliff while others manage to play well into their 40s, which that's a totally different issue as the number of players left that are 40 years old really screw up the sample size. So I'm really only looking at ages where there's at least 20 people that age playing in the league because there's not that many like 46-year-olds that have played in the league. I mean, Yager kind of screwed that up for everybody. So I guess what I'm saying is, there's a lot of different ways that people measure age curves using different metrics, points, GAR, but it's better to compare a player's performance to their past performance as opposed to comparing all players in the league to one another, even though that's exactly what I'm going to do. Which brings me to the second point. What is the relationship Between age and performance. Well, generally, if we just look at GAR goals above replacement for each age, when do players peak overall? You know, we're looking at positionally, so we're treating defensemen differently than forwards and differently than goaltenders. But what is the best age for defensemen? Defensemen peak at age 23, but that's a little misleading when you look at that and say, oh, age 23. Defensemen do the best of any age group. There's really two major plateaus. From age 21 to 25, there's a a plateau. And then there's a slight drop-off from 26 to 31, where there's another plateau. The largest drop-off is between ages 31 and 32. That's when things really start to go down. For forwards, they peak at age 21. 21 is the best age, average age of gar of any age group and they start going downhill from there. Now there is a small bump at ages 27 and 32 but a lot of that has to do with bad players being removed from the sample than it is players actually getting better with age. And listen before you come at me we all know that there's an ageless wonder out there that just keeps performing. Yager. This guy blows the doors off of it. He had better seasons in his 40s than some players have their entire careers. Other than Yager, which players have exceeded their age expectations the most? I gotta say up front, in full disclosure, one of the weaknesses of age curves, which is why folks are developing some alternatives, is that these are making ass- uh, making assumptions about the entire sample, and we all know that there's outliers. One of the alternative methods is to look at individual player curves over time like CJ Totura has done and see how much they depreciate over time relative to their average performance. And Jager just happens to be one of those players. But unfortunately, we don't have data that goes back before 2007. So all we're seeing is Yager actually got better between the ages of 35 and 39 before having his best recorded year at 42 years old which is really impressive. Outside of Jager, who was a massive outlier, the greatest forward outlier of the modern era is Pavel Datsuk. Kids these days just never got to see Pavel Datsuk in his prime. And he was insanely impressive on the ice. And this is reflected in a metric like goals above replacement that takes into consideration defensive contribution which he was a wizard at generating takeaways. So yeah, he might not have scored the most goals that year or even had the most points that year, but total package, the total number of net goals given up and generated when he was on the ice, the best season since 2007 of anybody, period. He had the best recorded gar for a 29-year-old, 40 40 goals above replacement when he was 29 years old. And Cloud Giroux finished second that year and had 26. To be fair, even Datsuk's play did decline from 29 to 31 years old. But then it just sort of flatlined until he turned 36. So from 31 to 36, his goals above replacement really didn't change a whole lot. And if we just isolate his career GAR from the age of 30 plus, Datsuk finished first in the league of anybody, of anybody who played since 2007 over the age of 30. He had 160 goals above replacement after the calendar flipped, and he turned 30. The next three highest, Joe Thornton, Marty St. Louis, Jerome McGinley. You know how many they had? 140, 122, and 94, respectively, and all of them played at least two additional years. Datsuk had the best 30-plus run that we've seen since 2007. And it just makes me wish this data was available before 2007 because I think he might have had the best 30-year run in the last 20 years. All right, what about active players, active forwards that have the best trajectory? Bergeron's not looking too bad. He bounced back from a little age 29 drop. He had his best season to date at age 33. Eric Stahl is also looking pretty good. Defensemen get a lot trickier because there's not a single standout. There is no Datsuk for defensemen. Shere Chara has played until 42 years old, but his guards bounced around like a roller coaster. He did have his best plus 30 year old season at 39 years old he played better at 39 years old than he did at 38 or 37 36 i mean come on he had his best 30 year old season at 39 the same can be said about giordano he's he's gotten better over time ryan Suter has also been pretty consistent but not elite like datsuk but he's been consistent all right I've been talking about Datsuk. I've been pumping his tires. I've had a lot of good things to say about him. I'm very excited to talk to somebody who actually followed Datsuk's career and apparently had a shrine in their house dedicated to Datsuk. Super fan analyst of the Detroit Red Wings, Matthew Klink, coming up on the Stat Chat. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped, offering you the best in precision engineered tools, for all your male grooming needs. You know, they were gracious enough to send me some samples. I can personally attest to the quality of their products. The newest iteration of their trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, isn't just like any other body trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent over 18 months perfecting the design, which includes a cutting edge ceramic blade, 90 minutes of battery time, an LED light to illuminate grooming areas, a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Folks, this is top-of-the-line technology that has been specifically designed with your needs in mind. Manscaping accidents are a thing of the past. So how do you get your hands on this amazing piece of machinery? Head over to manscaped.com right now and you can get both 20% off your order and free shipping on us. All you have to do is enter the promo code THPN at checkout. On this edition of Stat Chat, I'm joined by Matthew Clink from the Discussion Five, the Brothers of Discussion podcast. You can find them on Twitter at bod hockey and Instagram at brothers underscore of underscore discussion. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, we're we're always trying
1: to keep those tags nice and quick and easy. Got to got to go with the entire title of our brand of Brothers of Discussion rather than finding the short version so is that is that that brothers of discussion or is that like brothers of discussion oh man um i mean it's probably more like uh the difference between like a kitten and a lion saying it so it's probably like the kitten version so it's like brothers of
0: discussion (laughs) not not gonna try to not gonna try to go for the hulk hogan brand Uh, I, I think that if we did try that,
1: he's the kind of guy that would come after us legally. So we, we just go, no, we're like, we're, we're
0: literal brothers. So that's how we can make that work. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. But we're not talking about wrestling today. We're talking about Detroit Red Wings hockey. Woo. Boy. Yeah. I got to fake that, uh, enthusiasm, but,
1: uh, <laughs> how, how exciting, how, how great for your, for your listeners to, to learn about, uh. Oh, man, Uh, the hardest team in the NHL to watch this year.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, as a casual observer, you know, (laughs) I'm not trying to rub it in or anything, but it does seem like a lot of things went wrong this year. Uh, 39 points, negative 122 goal differential. I mean, they got eliminated before the trade deadline, which is the first time that happens since uh, 2004 or something like that, man. I got to ask, though, what were your expectations going into the season and how would you assess their performance? I, they were low, but they weren't like this
1: low. And I think I think if you talk to a lot of people, they they probably come around with that same sort of uh, sentiment. It, it just felt like we we were doomed, uh, we were gonna be fighting for the left pick. Um and, and as as a Red Wings fan, not just uh, you know, someone that's that's trying to cover the 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 team, uh I'm someone that's lived and died with with this team. And uh, it just, even, even to be as hardcore of a fan as I was, I still didn't come into this year thinking that, you know, like we didn't have a sniff of a playoff hope. Um, this was, what, a year ago, uh, the, the 74 points. I, anything that we brought to this team was, um, it, it's more of a subtraction because of the replacement players that were available or who they were replacing in the lineup everything took a step down. And I think, um, you know, for the sake of your show analytics wise, I think uh, the line replacement levels were actually at the bottom of the league. Uh, I think what our third and fourth line could actually produce uh, ended up being the bottom two uh, of the third and of the fourth line. So, I mean, it's just, uh, depth's important. there. something to learn, but um, there were just so many things to pull to tell us that the season was going to be rough to watch. And I, I just thankfully I came, I came about it. Um, I think, I think I have a, a healthy perspective where I knew we were going to be terrible. So I've been laughing through this entire season. Um, it's quite, it's quite a slog, uh, psychologically. I, I'm surprised there aren't more of us that are seeking help, but, uh, Hey, you know, we've got a draft to think about now. So there's, there's always next year kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, with the way that they're handling the the season, the season's over, as far as we know. If they come back, it's going to be a playoff situation. So you're going into the draft lottery with the best odds. You've got some good young players. I love Dylan Larkin. He's he's I think a guy you can build around. How do you feel about the future of this team?
1: All right, it's it's bright. It's just um, you know I think it. I think the important thing is to figure out how, like w- when is. When is the future, right? Uh, you got to put the quotes around that, around the future, because technically we're, we're in the future from what, you know, I was watching when uh, when I we were, we were in the playoffs for 25 straight years. And then you just kept waiting for for the other, you know, the other ball to drop. And, and it definitely has. It's fallen pretty far. So uh, the one thing we bring up in our show, uh, you know, every Monday on the Hockey Podcast Network is <laughs> – uh, what Steve Eiserman said at the start of the season. And he was asked um, not just by one media outlet or channel. It was local. It was national. It was Canadian. It was American. Everybody asking Steve Eiserman, what's the timetable? And he never has an answer for that. And rightfully so. He's got to politic it up. But I, I think there's a lot to take from that. And uh, to, to again, um, I, I got to say the future is is bright because we do have uh, a younger team. Uh, we've got one of the best contracts for a guy like Dylan Larkin and the amount of value we get uh, out of that contract, I think is, it's one of the best in the league. Uh, but we also have a couple of contracts that might become overpaid because we're not paying anybody else on the team and Mantha and Bertuzzi. So there's, there's certainly bright aspects. Uh, I think it'll be brighter depending on if we get that first pick uh, this year. I, uh, I think you could tell from my tone, I'm I'm quite pessimistic. Uh, I think eventually the, you know, everything's going to shake itself out. I, I actually do trust Steve Iserman, but um, the thing I trust more is his inability or maybe his, his own avoidance of putting a number on a timetable because this really could be five or six years.
0: You know, as far as the draft goes, I mean, yeah. I think everybody is, Kind of an agreement about the number one overall pick, but if you do end up falling out of that number one spot, is there somebody you're looking at that you're eyeballing that you think would be a really good fit?
1: I, you know, obviously you you don't want to go too far away from what the the scouts are saying because I am I'm, I'm not one who's 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 found any time uh, any extra time as I've mentioned to you uh my new uh, daughter, but I, I it's tough for me to find any extra time to to check out any of these guys and they're um, and their junior teams or what's going on, uh, you know, across the pond. But, uh, I, I, at least from the perspective of knowing that this kid is touted pretty high, uh, from, from the scouts that, you know, we read about, uh, if you're reading TSN, ESPN, or, uh, the athletic, but, uh, Lucas Raymond, at least for the sake that he shoots from the right side. (laughs) i i i feel like with the red wings it's something that uh we never really do find a a healthy dose of so i i just want to get i want to get that name in there and i've i've been telling myself for a while before we were guaranteed to have the best lottery odds and be in this top four um i was still telling myself geez we're gonna be like six seven or eight so i was trying to get to know everybody that wasn't lafreniere and and this was one guy that stood out for me but um i think uh you know, I, I, I'd be silly if I didn't, you know, kind of side with whatever's going on locally or nationally with the Tim Stutzel and and trying to get on board with that as well. Um, if anything, it's still my pessimistic outlook of telling myself, you better get used to Lucas and Tim before you get too excited about Lefrenier. But um, no, I, I, I think from my perspective and everything, uh, you know, we can see everything we can read. I think like. Going back to that other question of uh, how do I feel about the future? I think the future is is in this um, this bubble right now of whether or not we're three to four years out from a playoff spot or five to six years out. And I, I don't just mean like a bubble playoff team. I mean like we come into the season and you can feel like a like a like a Boston Bruins team just gets to go. Yeah, well we're going to be in the playoffs. It's how far are we going to go? Like to have that conversation again is what uh, what I'm all about. And um, yeah, I think, I think a guy like Lefreniere really cuts into that, that timetable, and I, I don't want to put anybody down. I'm not saying Lucas Raymond won't make uh, a huge difference, but it just kind of seems like this, that's where that conversation goes, and he becomes more of a piece of the puzzle rather than the elite franchise player that is going to be.
0: Definitely. So this week on this episode, I've been looking into age curves, and one of the reasons I I definitely wanted to talk to you, not just because you had a shrine of him, uh, apparently, (laughs) but, uh, you know, the the thing that really jumped off the charts for me was Pavel Datsuk and his age curve. Most players tend to decline past 30 years old, but Datsuk was one of the best players at his respective age, 30, 31, 32, 33, you know, past 30. Over the past 14 seasons, and aside from just being uber talented, how did Datsuk play so well into his 30s? I,
1: You know what's funny? I think a lot of people might jump and say it was... Uh, I mean, one thing that helps is having Lidstrom on your team or having him near you. He, he really brought up anybody. But uh, like I said, I, I, I had a... Uh, or I told you before, I had a Dadsouk shrine in my house. Um, so... <laughs> I mean I was the guy that that would that would say like this was the difference maker this was the reason that we were going to the playoffs this this is where the the offense started this is where the defense started this is this was everything that you could hope for in a hockey player like not just talking a goal scorer we're not just talking you know the uh well, we're definitely not talking like the grinder side of things and not just a playmaker this was the breed of a hockey player and uh, yeah, these, the, the statistics that you're probably talking about today and just seeing um, how he could stay so successful for so long goes along the lines of this guy wasn't successful because he had a ton of speed or because he was very strong. Sure, he, he knew how to use his body and he knew how to stay strong to the puck, but uh, you know he wasn't going to bruise you with a hit. He was going to get you with his mind. And it just makes so much sense because him being one of the smartest hockey players I've ever seen play the game, you'd think every year he's just learning something different. So if he's if he's being if he's successful even in two thousand two when uh, he won his first Stanley Cup with uh, with the Wingdings, uh, he still looked amazing. But then you get to add another you know ten. Twelve years on top. Or I'm, I'm sorry, another like fifteen years of of education of hockey education on on top of that brain. Um, that's how that's how he just kept going. Uh, if if we you know you look at those statistics of uh, his his takeaways and and what he was able to do to to keep winning all those uh, Selkie trophies. Um, th- those are timing. Those are all about planning things out and strategizing. You know, not just not just where your stick's going to go he he knew where he was going to be on the ice he knew which which foot was going to go first um if you've ever seen like those dangles not not the, not even the ones where he's scoring but just putting a guy on his rear end um that's all about knowing which skate needs to move first before he's thinking about where the stick's going to go or he knows where the stick's going to go before the skate moves for i mean it's it's just it's so many things like that that it doesn't need it doesn't need speed again it doesn't need strength even though again you you make the argument he was very strong on the puck um and it's just all about smarts and hockey smarts and and like you said as as his numbers continued to stay strong even into his later years it's just because if your game is successful and focused on hockey smarts uh you just keep getting to add to that year after year and i can't uh I don't know. I'm gonna hit the point where I'm rambling at some point, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a guy that's gushed about Pavel Datsuk, and um, my brother gives me a hard time on our show because I I say it. I I I really think he's he's the greatest hockey player I've 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 ever I've ever had the joy of watching. But uh, you know, I can't I can't really speak to Gretzky. Definitely can't speak to Gordy Howe. Uh, didn't get a chance to watch those guys and. Obviously, you could always uh, start an argument about how how much the game's changed uh, between uh, one of those guys playing and another generationally. But um, for me, greatest hockey player I've ever watched, even though I had the pleasure of watching Nicholas Lidstrom for pretty much the same amount of time. uh, To me, Pebbledad Souk takes that trophy.
0: I think a lot of it also has to do with expectations. And, I mean, this is a guy who was drafted 171 in in 1998. So this is not a number one overall pick, or even a top ten pick, or even a first round pick. Um, I don't even know what round that would be in. But 171, kind of like the Tom Brady of the NHL in a sense, where there was there was very little expectations going into it. And yeah, I think an argument could be made that he's for that era. You know, one of the best, or like an elite, definitely an elite player, but could be the best player of that era. Yeah, it just. he really defies the odds when it comes to, um, his, his draft position and what he was able to do with it. And like you said, it's, it's a smart thing, but I mean, nobody saw this coming or else you've been in much higher. None of right. the scouts saw this coming. So like, is it just instincts or like, was it training or dedication or like, how did he prepare himself for
1: I mean, yeah. T- I, I think for myself, like trying to, if you take a, a step out of like the analytics bubble and you go narrative, right. Um, you, you gotta realize that this guy was coming in, in, in 2002 and probably one of the most stacked hockey teams ever, uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. And you've got, uh, his line mate is Brett Hall. Again, uh, one of the, one of the greatest scorers uh one of the greatest u.s board players of all time but also one of the smartest guys to, to put to be put into a hockey room um him a guy like chris chelios he's got steve eiserman around him i uh, mentioned before lidstrom this you know this this is a guy who if his game is based on smarts was surrounded by um I guess, yeah, those, those great hockey minds, the first coach that he had coaching him was Scotty wow. Bowman wow. For, for great sake. So I, I just, you know, I, I don't know how much the language barrier would have set back some more opportunity for learning. Uh, Cause I guess when he first stepped in, the story goes that he was, he was all Russian, not, not a lick of English and uh, he picked it up from his teammates. But, but think about that as, as you learn you know, you're you're gonna live in the United States uh, for the the term of his career, um, starting in 2002, and then uh, what was that two years ago? I guess he left. And over that entire time, you you start learning this language you're gonna be speaking while while you're playing, and all you are learning are like the English versions of what hockey is. So now the only thing going through this already genius hockey mind is just different hockey terms and the hockey way of life um i'm not saying that he he's a better player because he came in not knowing any english but i feel like that might just be like another cherry on top to that argument of uh, of like that narrative behind being a red wing and uh and kind of having all that success but um yeah i mean it, it really is tough to put a finger on it because the last thing you want to do right is sit here and talk about well it's just just god-given talent but um you know i i I, there's there's got to be something to that idea of um you know learning learning at that young of an age uh, when he first stepped in to be surrounded by the likes that he was surrounded by um and then um yeah the other side of it too which I, i i i would have to give credit to probably other red wings fans before myself but um Having that, you know, a Zetterberg around you and a Lidstrom for your entire career does not hurt at all. And you got to figure somebody else. um, Maybe, maybe doesn't have, uh, I mean, we've seen the Dangles, we've seen the Deeks. So not everybody has that skill level, but I mean, there's a guy like Thomas Holmstrom who let pucks bounce off his face into the net and he's scoring goals. So it's just like by accident, you can have success on this team. So, so with the, the level of, of hockey skill and knowledge that dead suit came in with, I think, I think again, that's, that's kind of, um, yeah, I hope, I hope I'm given enough here. Cause I, I, that's the thing about, uh, about Pavel or, or a guy who's so highly skilled like this is um, I think, for me, when I'm looking at analytics, I look at it for a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi or, um, yeah, you know what? Tyler Bertuzzi is a perfect example. Um, because this is a guy that's scoring because he's, he's going to the net and it's like clockwork, you know, his shift starts, he's got to go where the coach tells him to go kind of thing. And, and yes, he has a lot of hockey talent, way more hockey talent than I will ever have. And probably all of my children put together kind of thing um you know, like if we could combine into like a uh a Voltron <laughs> hockey player but I just I guess from the sake of saying like he's not going to be a guy that's that's going to deke his way to the net and score a goal he's a guy that's going to be that hard-nosed player that's that's where I'm going to use analytics to figure out like how many shots is a guy like Bertuzzi comfortable with taking uh for an entire season and how many times is that actually going to result in a goal where Detsuke almost um uh, you know, like you said, you're you're looking at the the analytics for for how age affects a hockey player, and he jumps off the board, and that's because his story is almost completely narrative, right? Like you can't you can't use, or it's tough to use analytics to figure out what the hell is going on with this guy. I mean, is he alien? You know, yeah. like is is he even human? Uh, we don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, he his final season, he was 37 years old. He had the best season for any 37-year-old in the last 14 years. And why, why didn't he just keep going? I mean, at the rate, you know, he, he could have had even a even a better career than he had. He could have been like Jager and played until he was 45 and still been exceptional at the, at the rate he was going. Why didn't he do that?
1: Well, I, I know right now he's still playing over in Russia, so I, I I think he'd be the guy that would turn around and say, well, hey, just count my points over in yeah. Russia, and you can see how I'm doing <laughs> I, And I, I only know that, that side of an argument so well because that's what Gordie Howe uh, used to say once uh, once Gretzky eclipsed uh, his points, is Gretzky would say, well, hey, what about all those other hockey leagues I played <laughs> in? Where's Gretzky <laughs> on that? But, um, no I I actually I when when you uh you mentioned that I, that actually blows my mind of uh the 37 year old production because um, that even as a huge Pavel Datsuk fan I I know I haven't I, I, this is the first time I'm I'm hearing this but uh, I know as a Detroit Red Wings fan um I was crushed when he left and I I would have loved for him to stick around in the NHL but I think um you know, just, just like as I as I mentioned earlier, like we came into this season knowing it was going bad and, and we go 25 years of playoffs, but then we're squeaking in the last couple of years. I think Pavel knew what was going on and, um, you know, he'd have the, the opportunity to either just watch this thing kind of dissolve in front of him or spend those last few years playing in Russia and I think one of the funniest things is that it was, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk that was, was one of the guys that brought him over to Russia to keep playing. And then I think it's a season later, Kovalchuk (laughs) backs his bags and comes back over to the States. But, uh, that's, that's a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother story for another day. But, um, yeah, I, I, gosh, you know, it's, it is nice that he gets to, to, I guess, end his career with his family, uh, closer to him. But, um, you know, I, I, it's probably just bias being North American, but it, it, it probably stings to him to know that, you know, the points he's putting up in Russia are not going to be, you know, it's not, it's not going to mean the same thing when you, when you talk about hockey. I mean, it, it's, especially uh, me coming from Detroit and knowing the Russian five coming over, like they knew this is where you had to be to face the best of the best uh, in the world. Uh, even from Russia, you, you come over to the States. So now, uh, the talent level has probably dropped considerably where he's where he's playing now, and um, you know I think the only benefit he gets is is probably the family side of things. Um, and again, uh, that Detroit Red Wings side of me, uh, it it's still it it's it's made even the most um, passionate of Datsuk fans question whether his number should ever be retired because he kind of put us in a sour situation when he left. Um, but. You know, uh, I, I guess, yeah, personal side, I wish he would have stuck around. I guess looking at it from from his perspective, yeah, collect a couple million bucks, play in Russia, and you get to see your daughter.
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned about the, you know, diehard fans maybe questioning his number being retired. Um, do you really think he would make that much of a difference? Do you think if, if you had him on the team now, let's say, that thinking about the playoffs, like, is he that, like, a player that can put the team on his back? Oof.
1: Gosh, I I love this question um, because that that's the thing is is right now what we'd be talking about a forty one year old uh, Pavel Datsuk and um, yeah yeah I mean uh, probably not now right but maybe we get that one extra season of playoffs um, maybe it would have been better for Dylan Larkin to to play with Pavel for you know get get at least one extra year of uh, tutelage not just from Henrik Zetterberg but you know you can't you can't just be as great as Pavel Datsuk was at deaking and dangling but uh, you, you can learn a lot from him in in regards to timing and spacing and positioning but um, yeah I think gosh uh, you know what I'm, I'm rambling again here but I I think I'd have to be honest as, uh, as a human being. Let's step outside of the Red Wings' mind and the Pavel souk fandom. <laughs> I don't think anybody could help this team right now. <laughs> get the Any one guy, I'll say that. Unless, unless we're having the conversation, like will Steve Iserman help this team get into the playoffs? There's definitely not a single hockey player that could help this team. Um, I mean, we're talking like even Lefrenier. I'm I'm very careful to say we're still a few years out from being, uh, you know, that, that having that mindset of season starting, we're a playoff team. Um, maybe even that's, <laughs> I'm probably being, uh, too, uh, too aggressive on on that estimate as well, but I, I really, yeah, it's, it's tough for anybody to help this team. This, this particular team, this, this is, this is one that in a Red Wings podcast, you're not going to hear this from any other Red Wings podcast because they're full of excuses but um, if you want that realistic look, I mean, we we have done the legwork to figure out if this is like the worst <laughs> hockey team ever. So, uh, so it'd be it'd be quite a few names that you got to throw on top of there to, to make this team a, a playoff contender.
0: Well, I want to do a callback to something you mentioned earlier about Datsuk potentially being, um, you know, the best player in, in NHL history. Because we all we know that all sports have a recency bias, but I feel like Datsyuk rarely gets mentioned in the all-time greats conversation. You know, we went from Lemieux and Gretzky and then it felt like we just kind of ended up in like Crosby, Ovechkin, and then Matthews and Eichel and McDavid. Like, I feel like for whatever reason, Datsyuk, you know, his name doesn't get floated in there. Uh, maybe it did and we're just, everyone's focused on the, the young guns now, but do you it feel like the national media kind of overlooks him nowadays oh i mean i i'm the worst person to ask this question to because this is when the conspiracy
1: theories start but um i <laughs> like for from my perspective you're alex jones <laughs> oh god jesus uh i don't want to be alex jones at all but uh i i am one uh that would say like i i think there i think there's always been um I think there's been a bias against non North American players. And I think Ovechkin has been like the one uh, to, to sort of break through and still become, uh, you know, he he has one hell of a personality and and that definitely helps And the, uh, the skill level. I mean, is, is through the roof, but I mean, like, why was a guy like uh, Solani through his whole career? Like why, why wasn't that like on the, on, you know, like a poster every week, like Solanis playing in this area with the amount of goals that he was putting up. And I, 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 and that's, that's a name I'm just pulling from the top of my head, but there's probably tons of guys. Um, so I, I'm, I'm one to kind of side with this idea that you don't grow up with a Pavel Datsuk, You don't get to watch him in the junior leagues. Um, you don't get to see him, you know, uh, like have, you don't get the heartwarming tale of, of, his family playing on a Newfoundland pond or something like that. Like it's, it's just, he's the Russian guy that, that the, the Red Wings drafted sick in the sixth round is like uh, well, one of our scouts saw him once. So he's still available. Let's take him. Um, it, It's just, I think there's a ton of stories like that, uh, that if, if we had more time, both of us, we could probably go through and find a few different names that probably should get more recognition. Um, I think even though the Detroit Red Wings had a lot of success, um, I'm I'm going to try and pull off the conspiracy theorist hat and just make the argument that Detroit is a smaller market um, when you compare the size of this the like the metro areas to to something of Toronto, New York. I mean, obviously Toronto, New York, L.A., uh, Chicago. You you can't they they don't compete in that in that area. So when it comes to trying to build up, you know, from an NHL perspective, are we going to pick? Um, you know Kane and Taves who are in Chicago and are going to get you know not only are we, are we going to build up uh, a national base but then that Chicago metro area is is massive compared to Detroit um, so they are going to push that they're going to push a media narrative they're going to make certain guys available uh, for conversations with the media and then that builds up those uh, rapports, and then you have the better storylines and again back to those narratives And then you've got Pierre Maguire telling some dumb story between (laughs) the benches on a a Sunday afternoon. Um, But yeah, I mean, if, if it was me taking like that, that honest perspective, um, at least as honest as I, as I feel like um, I could come up with uh, right now, I I think it is the size of the market for Detroit. And then, uh, you know, the other thing probably doesn't help too much is, the fact that Pavel Datsyuk had the language barrier, and he really the store as the stories go, he did not like doing media. And what picture are you going to paint when all you have are the guy's numbers on the ice? You know, like uh, we would hear great stories about uh, he was he was apparently the comedian of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, even like despite him struggling with the English language. Uh, he, he was telling jokes that were bilingual. Like how, how smart of a human being do you have to be uh, to be a comedian that transcends language? But um, <laughs> uh, now, now I'm getting lost on myself and uh, my own fandom, but <laughs> right, with, uh, with, uh, with, the, with the national media. Sorry, I, I really did get too excited there. Um, but yeah, like if, if you're avoiding the media, and I think a lot of this stuff that gets built up with like the the players that are going to be on uh, or focused on like n b c sports or t s n or or anything like that um they they need that that human perspective and uh since you don't really get it from Pavel unless you're in the local detroit area i think i think that's i think that's what happens, yeah. Took a long way to get there. Uh, I came back. Yeah. yeah, I had to take a couple exits on the highway there before I finally came to my point. But uh, I think I found it.
0: Yeah, I buy it. So, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, do you have? Any other final thoughts on Detroit? Uh, the, you know, the Red Wings or Pavel Datsu? Well, for Pavel, I think if
1: anybody has uh, has doubted like the the impact that Datsuk made. I mean, you, if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, just go back and just compare Datsuk to Zetterberg and you'll easily see that this was the guy that, that was running the offense and Zetterberg bless his heart. Um, I have family members that, uh, will will well we'll, you know, we'll get a shouting matches about who was the better player. Uh, but the analytics tell the story there. Um, and as more analytics come out, it seems like as we get, um, you know, the, the expected goals, if you go back and look at like the last twenty years, of the Detroit Red Wings, uh, Datsuk is, is standing on a tower above the rest of the Detroit Red Wings. So it's it's that that's very eye opening uh, and shows you what a two way player can do for uh, for <laughs> for a team analytically. Um, but uh, yeah, final thoughts on the Red Wings. This is going to be a long long journey. Uh, but, uh, my brother and I on, uh, the discussion five, which is, uh, after the Russian five, uh, we have our five discussion points. Uh, so a lot of people think there's five of us that host that show. It's just two of us, but we have five discussion points. Um, we're going to be along for this entire ride. And, uh, if, if anybody has enjoyed the pessimistic, I like to th- think is more realistic perspective on the Red Wings. Um, yeah, come check us out. Cause, uh, we're coming to you, uh, uh hopefully every monday and thursday once uh, next season starts rolling but still every monday through uh through this uh terrible corona time uh but yeah we're 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 having fun with it i i think that's the only thing you can do at this point you can't you can't uh you can't let the red wings and
0: their inability to win get to you you just got to watch <laughs> it laugh and and keep on rolling that's a good attitude that's a real good attitude to have as to do with all my guests, I want to give you the floor if there's anything you want to plug or any shout-outs that you may have. Oh, absolutely. Um
1: uh, like uh like we mentioned earlier, it's at BOD hockey on Twitter. And then we have a shared Instagram of both our Detroit Red Wings coverage and uh our pro wrestling coverage at brothers underscore of underscore discussion uh we have our hub too for all of our pro wrestling talk is uh bod com and brothers of com. so if uh if you guys want to hear us talk about you know somebody that's not losing 75 percent of the time check out that pro wrestling talk uh it's 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 a blast i mean my brother and i we we got into podcasting because um uh, my brother is a comedian first and then uh I, I'm I'm one that uh I I guess I'd be his biggest fan because uh I, I'd almost get kicked out of his shows. So so come around for the jokes, stick around to see how long I, I keep cackling and laughing. That's uh that's a good drinking game, I think, to play
0: with our show. But uh yeah, that that'd do it. Well fantastic. Well, I want to wish you and the Detroit Red wings, the best of luck this off season. Hopefully (laughs) uh, they, they win the lottery. Thanks. Oh man. Fingers crossed, man. I'm
1: telling you, I get two years of my life back if they do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me on uh, this pod. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So let's bring this thing full circle. What'd we learn this episode other than Pavel Datsuk is a madman. Well, the whole age curve narrative is very player dependent. And if you want to know more about this, seriously, go Google CJ Totoro's work, Eric Tolsky's work. They got a lot of good stuff that looks at individual player age curves, like what I've done with Datsuk. But looking at all the players and how their relative rates have changed. But generally speaking, the average player's prime is significantly lower than I think most people would expect. Most people expect the prime of a player to be late 20s, early 30s, but really it's late 20s, mid 20s is when we're seeing the best performance out of players. And every now and then you get an anomaly like Yager or Datsuk who seems to just age like a fine wine, but that is not the norm. And on that note, I hope everybody stays safe out there with everything going on in the world. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. I'll see you in two weeks. I'm going to be joined by someone doing some really interesting analytics, some dashboards, some player analysis and comparison tools. And we're going to be having a conversation about some of the methods and metrics that they use in developing some of their visualizations. Remember, folks, drink and think responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. You can find me on Twitter at Ice Analytics and you can find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to our feed and leave us a review.